This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Both sides feel like they got a chance, but both sides know that they have to turn out their voters to have that chance. Tuesday is election day. If farmers aren't doing well, it, it's tough on the rest of rural Iowa. If equipment dealers aren't selling machinery, that means our folks who work in the deer and case plants may not be working either. And candidates are seeking your votes. The only thing that's constant in agriculture is change, and so we know that we've got to be looking to the future and addressing the issues that confront us. A final look at Campaign 2018, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Given the flurry of activity this weekend especially, it's hard to believe that things will be quietly back to normal Wednesday, the day following the 2018 general election. Many groups and organizations are working to educate their members about key issues and candidate stands on those issues. One such group is AARP Iowa. Brad Anderson became state director of AARP Iowa earlier this year. We spoke about one of their key initiatives this past Wednesday afternoon. In Iowa, we have 317,000 unpaid family caregivers across the state. So that's something, it's a giant population of people, um, and they are looking for information on how to better protect, you know, or how to better care for their family members. Um, and so one of the ways that we are hoping to get them that information is through the hospitals directly when their family members or loved ones go into the hospital. And that is by, and that is required through legislation. And the legislation is called the CARE Act. Um, and Iowa is actually one of only 14 states that do not currently have uh, some, some uh, version of the CARE Act in place that has been signed by the governor. And so we're pushing that. We've been pushing it for years, and we're continuing to push that. Uh, the CARE Act really does three simple things. Number one, it requires family caregivers to have their name recorded upon entry into the hospital. So the hospital knows exactly who the caregiver is, and the hospital is able to easily contact that person. Uh, number two, the caregiver is informed when a loved one is moved or discharged. Um, incredibly, Jeff, this is not currently the law in Iowa, so um, we need to do a better job of that. Now, keep in mind, a lot of hospitals are doing this right now, so this is not um, you know, us going after hospitals or us going after uh, medical institutions of any, of any kind, but not everyone is doing it, and it's not required, and so we're trying to get that written into law. The third thing the CARE Act does is uh, it provides instruction of, of medical tasks for when a loved one is sent home. Um, and anyone that has ever cared for anyone that has gone to the hospital or gotten a surgery or something like that knows that, you know, it's, it requires uh, a lot of upkeep when the person gets home. And not everyone receives the information that is needed to take care of that loved one. And so the CARE Act would require that by law. And so it does those three things. And again, Iowa is one of only 14 states that, that currently do not have, uh, does not have a CARE Act signed into law. And so AARP Iowa is really fighting for that this next 2019 legislative session. 
you can go to our website at aarp.org backslash Iowa, and you can find the video voter guide that we have put together, uh, or visit us on Facebook where the video voter guide is also available, um, and just kind of type in a search for AARP Iowa in Facebook. And uh, the great news is that we have both governor candidates on the record supporting passing and signing the CARE Act into law. And so that is a huge step for us. Um, we have both Kim Reynolds and Fred Hubble uh, that have said that they support this. And so, and it's received bipartisan support in the legislature as well. And so we've got Republicans and Democrats in both the House and the Senate that have expressed support. Now we've got both candidates um, who have expressed support. So, you know, the good news is we're, we're close to election day. Um, we believe, uh, regardless of which candidate for governor wins, we're going to have a CARE Act champion um, who will help us get this to the finish line and signed into law in 2019. Brad Anderson is state director of AARP Iowa, talking about the things they are watching for their members. Aaron Murphy is watching the races as Des Moines bureau chief for Lee Enterprises Newspapers. He says the race for governor feels the same now as it did just after the primary election when the nominees became known, namely that it's a very close contest. Both campaigns are working uh, hard uh, like they believe that they have to turn out every uh, vote they can to make sure they give themselves the best chance to win. Um, they're both advertising on TV uh, very heavily uh, into the uh, last week of this thing here. Um, they're both barnstorming across the state. Both candidates have their closing argument bus tours uh, right now, multiple stops a day all across the state. It feels like a close race still. It, it has throughout this thing. Uh, that needle doesn't feel like it's moved a whole lot, and, and it feels like it's going to be a close one um, on Election Day. Um both sides feel like they got a chance, but both sides um, know that they have to uh, turn out their voters uh, to, to, to have that chance. So um, the, what little polling we have said it's been a close race, and I have seen nothing to believe otherwise. As the governor's race goes, that could really have a trickle-down effect at some of these congressional races that we're looking at, particularly first and third, but maybe also fourth. Sure, sure, absolutely, um, and 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 vice versa. Uh, you know, if if um, things go really well for uh, Democrats at the congressional level, then that's only going to help up the ticket too. Say, for example, over in, you mentioned the fourth district. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like Steve King might be in for a, a closer race than he's used to, and if if people are voting the same way at that level that they are for the governor's ticket, then that that has a backwards. Um, effect as well. Um, it, it's going to be a really interesting election. I, I have no idea what to expect. I, I could see weird scenarios where Democrats pick up seats here, but Republicans win here. And um, it's just, I think there's just so much unknown. Um, um, A, as far as, as, far as who's going to turn out and actually vote. And B, how some voters, you know, we've talked about the some of the swing voters, how Iowa went from Obama to Trump. Are those kind of folks swinging back this time. Um, are the young voters going to turn out? Typically they don't, but there's been some very conservative efforts uh, by people to make that happen this time. If that happens enough, that could sway things. Um, there's just so much that we 
can't predict um, in this election that, that it's really hard to say with any confidence what's going to happen in a lot of these races. So uh, election day and night are going to be very interesting. Ag secretary is one where the Republican, um, and he's like the governor, is the successor incumbent. Right. Mike Nag was not elected to the position. Right. He was appointed um, uh, uh, when um, Bill Northey took a job in, in the federal uh, government. Um, but, you know, I, Iowa typically has favored uh, Republican ag secretaries. Um, but even that race, I think, is, is competitive. Tim Gannon is the Democrat there. Um, the other two, Secretary of State and Auditor, Republican incumbents, Mary Moseman, the Auditor, and Paul Pate, the Secretary of State, I think are facing very serious challenges. They're both facing very um, well-funded and um, Democratic candidates who um, have excited their base. Um, Democrats are excited about Rob Sand for auditor and um, Deidre DeGere uh, for secretary of state. Um, the national candidates have come in and supported these down ballot. I mean, you've got Kamala Harris supporting uh, Deidre DeGere and Rob Sand and, and uh, Martin O'Malley campaigning for these down ballot Democrats. Right. It's been a really interesting phenomenon this cycle. Um, so I think those absolutely are competitive races. And, and um, again, going back to turnout and who actually shows up, uh, we could see a, a pretty interesting uh, change in the makeup of that executive council that you're talking about. Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. We spoke via Skype this past Monday morning. Coming up, we'll hear from two candidates for Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. You just heard Aaron Murphy identify the contest for Iowa Ag Secretary to be one of those to watch on election night. Obviously, the Ag Secretary position is pivotal in the state of Iowa. Mike Nag was appointed to the position earlier this year when longtime Ag Secretary Bill Northey resigned to take a position with the USDA. He's running now for a full term in his own right. Democrat Tim Gannon worked for Iowa's Tom Vilsack in Washington when Vilsack was USDA Secretary during the Obama administration. Gannon spoke recently with Michael Libby for the Insight on Business podcast. It is definitely an important office for the state of Iowa, given agriculture's important role both in our identity as a state, um, but also definitely in our economy. Not just the farm income, which is important, but the way that farm income then gets rolled around the economy. Uh, every small town does better when farmers are doing better. Our manufacturing does better when farmers are doing better. And our state budget 
is stronger when farmers are doing better. And this is, if I remember correctly from the news pieces that we've done in the past, this is either the fifth or the sixth year that farm income has been down. Would that be accurate? Yeah, uh, it's been down five of the last six years. And USDA back in uh, February when they did their 2018 farm income forecast uh, predicted it was going to be down again this year. And that was before what we've seen uh, happen to prices because of the trade disputes. Let's talk a little bit about the trade disputes. Why should people care whether or not there is an issue out there with um, soybeans being uh, taxed or not being purchased by the largest uh, user of soybeans in the world, which is China, and they're going elsewhere, such as Brazil and other places, to get their soybeans? What does that mean to Iowa and Iowa farmers? Well, Iowa farmers and, and other other soybean producers uh, in the United States spent a lot of years building the market, uh, creating the relationships with end users in China uh, so that they would know that American farmers produced a quality, affordable, uh, and consistent product that they could uh, buy year in and year out knowing it would be there. Uh, so so what has happened with them deciding not to buy soybeans from the United States because of the tariffs they've put on our beans is uh, they've gone elsewhere, like you said, Brazil. Uh, but the one that really uh, grabbed my attention. Uh, I, you know, I worked eight years at USDA uh, while Secretary Vilsack was was out there leading things, and that was a lot of crop briefings I sat through in those eight years' time. Uh, everything from how the weather in the southern hemisphere affects the supply and demand of wheat in the northern hemisphere to uh, uh, the weather in Egypt uh, impacting the cotton uh, crop there and and what that meant for cotton prices in the United States. But never once in those eight years of crop briefings did I hear the words Russia and soybeans used in the same sentence. But back in June, after China put tariffs on our soybeans, uh, one of the headlines from Bloomberg or Reuters was China to source record supply of soybeans from Russia. Now, I don't know if that's a lot or a little uh, comparatively, but it goes to show you what they're going to do uh, to try and survive without the soybeans that they had come to depend on from the United States. In the short term, the things that will definitely help farm income would be fixing biofuels policy and fixing trade policy. Uh, but I don't think that the, the administration in Washington, D.C. right now is listening uh, to anyone because they see the stock market doing relatively well. They see unemployment low. Uh, and so they don't understand that when farmers are struggling, that means all those small towns are going to struggle. <clears throat> my dad owned a John Deere store uh, during the 1980s. So mm. my, my first lesson in economics was if farmers aren't doing well, it, it's tough on the rest of rural Iowa. And that in, in Iowa, then, if, if equipment dealers aren't selling machinery, that means our folks who work in the deer and case plants may not be working either. And, and it kind of gets to be a triple whammy where farmers aren't doing well, those small businesses that depend on them aren't doing well, and eventually our manufacturing uh, suffers. And just with what they've talked about uh, in the loss in income from low prices due to trade disputes, Iowa State researchers have said that could be as much as a $110 million hit uh, to state tax revenues. And anyone who's followed the state budget the last couple of years knows we haven't had an extra $110 million uh, laying around, and we've had to shortchange education. We've had to uh, mid-year cuts to our regents' universities, uh, the, the issues with paying uh, providers, especially rural doctors and, and small-town hospitals for services provided by Medicaid, all of these issues then get impacted if the state budget's not doing well. I would think that uh, people that would want to have a Secretary of Agriculture in Iowa might look toward a 
farmer. Tell us about that part of your life. Well, so, you know, as I mentioned, growing up, my dad had a John Deere store, so I didn't grow up on the farm. But uh, when, when he sold the store, he went back to farm. And so I helped him a little bit uh, in the early 2000s, but kind of took a, a non-traditional route to helping him now and being involved now. Uh, I was working in D.C. for Secretary Vilsack at USDA. I had just started a new job, the Risk Management Agency, uh, in January 2015. And the cousin of mine who was farming with him died very unexpectedly. Mm. And so I was not in a position to come back right then, uh, but knew at that point in time, I knew that that's what I wanted to do was come home and be the next generation uh, to farm on, on, you know, on this farm that's been in our family since 1888. So, uh, you know, I can remember the, the, the Century Farm ceremony in uh, 2013 or 2014 uh, up there on the stage with my dad, one of the uh, proudest days of his life. Tim Gannon is a Democrat running for Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. He spoke recently with Michael Libby for the Insight on Business podcast. The man who currently has the job is Republican Mike Nag, and he and I spoke this past Wednesday. The mission of the Department of Ag it's to uh, you know to uh, represent all aspects of agriculture. It's to uh, ensure consumer protection and then work to promote the responsible use of natural resources. So on the consumer protection side, right, we do anything from uh, inspecting fuel pumps and uh, working with our dairy producers or egg producers, our meat lockers, you know, fertilizer, pesticides. Those are all things that we have programs that interact. We uh, a, a significant part of our effort is around promoting soil health and water quality. Oh, and then, and then of course, the, the things I get to do to promote Iowa agriculture and trade and our markets as well. So uh, I get to do a whole broad range of things, but uh, my first job is to make sure I'm running the Department of Ag properly and that we're delivering on our mission. What will be different with you having a four-year term as Ag Secretary as opposed to one of your opponents? Yeah, well, you know, I think what I bring here is that, uh, and look, I, I, I view the state of Iowa as being very much on the right track, right? We're, uh, I, I think the Democrat candidate for governor has got a tall order trying to convince folks that we're not on the right track. And I also see that in agriculture. Again, it's not that we don't have issues to work on. And our markets are one area that we know that we've got to do better to uh, open markets around the world and to uh, provide support for our prices that our farmers are being paid. But we're on the right track on the things that matter. And when I look at those things that matter, I think about Markets for our products internationally, markets for our products domestically, so livestock and renewable fuels, uh, making sure that we're doing the right things from a natural resource standpoint, again, focused on soil health and water quality. In this area in particular, I bring the experience of having been on the job now for over five years, implementing our strategy, working to get more conservation done. And then the final piece, and again, this comes out, this is born out of traveling the state, visiting with our farmers and our businesses, and that's to hear the concerns around attracting and retaining the workforce that we need in agriculture. So I bring all of that experience. I bring all of the, uh, you know, having traveled this state now for the last uh, seven, eight months as the secretary interacting with Iowans, I bring all of that to this uh, this job and a passion to uh, to deliver results. And so I think that's what you get with me is uh, the other thing, of course, is you get to watch what I'm doing today. And, uh, you know, you, you can then judge me based on that. How different is the office now with you running it as opposed to your predecessor? And obviously it's only been a few months. Right. And so one can't expect there to be a sea change of things. But and I guess the question is predicated. And if people have liked how things were right. going, 
how much of a departure will it be if you still are at the till? Well, I tell you, again, having served as the deputy secretary since 2013, I am very, very comfortable with how we're operating today because I've had a hand in uh, in making it so. And so from that standpoint, one, it created an opportunity to have a very, very smooth transition when Secretary Northey departed and I stepped in. You know, again, I, I was sworn in March 5th. We swore Bill Northey in March 6th. And on March 7th, I did my first county visit. You know, so we hit the ground running. And I'd like to think that, you know, that transition was very smooth because, again, my my experience, the only thing that's constant in agriculture is change. And so uh, we know that we've got to be looking to the future and ad- addressing the issues that come that confront us. You mentioned water quality. Identify, in addition to that, mm-hmm. biggest challenges facing the person in your job and how are you uniquely qualified to address those in the next four years? Yeah, good question. So uh, again, I think you look back, we're five years into implementing Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy. Uh, Again, I had a hand in getting us to where we are today. So I understand very, very well what we've what we've tried and what we've been doing, and uh, and are, we're ready now to pivot from a demonstration phase to an implementation phase. And what that really means is we've got to now work to scale up our efforts to deliver those practices all across uh, the state. And so really uh, that's one of the things I've been talking here a lot about in the last even a few days as the the new water quality funding that we secured this past legislative session, the first time we've got long-term dedicated funding for water quality over the next 12 years. Well, how are we going to deploy those dollars? Well, we're we're starting by targeting resources in the uh, North Raccoon, the uh, Middle Cedar, and the South Skunk, three large watersheds in the state where we can go literally working door-to-door, working with landowners and farmers throughout the watersheds to uh, get practices on the ground. I think that's the biggest challenge now is to really get out, interact with our farmers and landowners, and uh, help them understand the types of opportunities and the types of conservation practices that'll work. My wife and I are raising the fifth generation of our family that's involved in our farm operation, Century Farm. My great-grandfather bought it in 1902. I would love it if uh, if one of those boys would decide that they uh, want to be a part of that operation uh, for a living. You know, uh, that's a challenge that we've got across the state. I think a lot about the future and what it means for beginning farmers and, and uh, you know, opportunity for the next generation to come back into a farm operation. These are th- some challenges that we need to look at. Mike Nag, current Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship and Republican candidate for the post on Tuesday's election ballot. Before that, Tim Gannon, the Democrat seeking the position. And to be clear, each candidate received an identical amount of time in this program. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.